employers, and this is illegal actually, to discriminate because of a person's political preference. But how many people in the survey admitted、um, that they treat their employees differently because of political bias?、Mm. Admitted. Admitted. Wow. Okay, admitted. It's one thing to do it, but it's another thing to admit it. You know.、Um, good call. Good call. Twenty、uh, percent. Twenty percent. I'm gonna let it ride. Forty-three <laughs> percent. <laughs> you like that、I、number? Forty <laughs> something. Let's take a look at the answer. Oh, okay. Eleven percent. That's good. That, I mean, well, it's not good. It's but not it's, good. It's, it's actually illegal. So, eleven percent. What happened to Lojie? I mean, he lost his job opportunity. That was illegal. Okay, one more question. So, people have differences of opinion, you know, regarding politics. What's this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? The International Chinese Language Program, or ICLP, is one of a number of programs in Taiwan that whips foreign learners of the Mandarin Chinese language into shape. This is a proper language boot camp. For a beginner, the first days in the program can feel a bit like being thrown into the deep end of a pool and being left to sink or swim. What's remarkable, though, is that everyone, no matter their level, does eventually manage to swim quickly and elegantly. Now, I'm hardly an unbiased observer. I once spent a summer there, but I have to say that this program and others like it have a way of turning students into competent speakers and readers of Chinese that seems almost magical when you watch it at work. I was reminded once again of the results this program can achieve about a month ago. A group of students now enrolled in the program stopped by RTI for a tour and a Q&A session about my work. They came from different backgrounds, but were all able to express themselves exactly the way they wanted to. What makes this program work? And more generally, why is studying Chinese in Taiwan a good bet? To find out, I've called up the ICLP's director, Professor Gao Weihong. Last week, Professor Gao told us about the ICLP's history and philosophy. This week, he's back again to talk teacher training, textbooks, and why, if you want to learn Chinese, Taiwan is the place to be. It's not very easy for teachers to come to our program to teach, because the competition of becoming our teacher is quite fierce. Because probably every other years we only accept two or three new teachers, and once they become our teacher, we will give them trainings for our pedagogy. And those new teachers have to go through a lot of practices, and、uh, we make sure that they really master this particular pedagogy. Then they will become our formal teachers, and our senior teachers will go into their classrooms to observe and. And give them suggestions how to maintain the tempo, how to ask questions, how to respond to students' questions, and see how they interact with students, and also whether they are familiar with the textbooks. Because we usually do not want students to open the textbooks, so all the materials have to be remembered properly by the teacher, so that they can have a more intense interaction with students. Do most of them train in a particular school or program? Do they mostly come from the same places or from everywhere? Well, actually. We offer not only just Chinese Mandarin classes, and some students would like to learn a little bit, or for example, general lesson, or they want to learn something about law. 
So we have teachers who have these backgrounds, and some students would like to learn interpretation and translation. So we have these kind of specialties who came to our program because they want to become Chinese language teacher, but they also have the background in journalism, in finance, in law, in other areas. So we have teachers with a variety of backgrounds. So I think students who came to our program can pick up their fields and we try to tailor to their needs. And uh, another special feature of ICLP, which I think is worth mentioning, is the class size. Yeah, usually our class size are mostly very small, and students registered for our program will be given one-on-one class, which means that only one teacher with you, and another three group classes. So in total, a student normally will have four classes, one one-on-one and three group classes. And the group classes usually consist of three to four students. One of the group classes will review what the one-on-one class teach. So I think that the student keeps reviewing what other classes have been teaching. And uh, another two group classes will be students' choices. For example, journalism, our finance, our law, our, our novels, our literatures. So I think students can focus on their own language training and, and they can also focus on their favorite courses. Also, we should probably mention <clears throat> that the textbooks that you use are pretty much all self-published from inside the program itself. Uh, is this sort of an ongoing process? I understand that there are a few that are sort of classics that everyone kind of has memories with, but do these get regularly updated? Yeah, so we keep constantly updating our textbooks. We, use, we also use good textbooks published by other university presses, and we also published our own textbooks. So I think the one which we publish are usually catered to special needs. For example, the student really want to learn Chinese culture, Chinese history, Taiwanese novels, and so on. So we know that student needs this kind of textbook, but it's not available you know, in the market, so we had to make it. So we have a group of teachers who were involved in our editorial board and constantly reviewing you know, what kind of textbook we need and try to make a new textbook happen. Right. Yeah. And that must be a very big challenge because, I mean, when I was studying there, we didn't have smartphones yet, for instance. There's yeah. always new vocabulary and new ideas. So I think you know, the, the technology really changes how the student learns right now because students can quickly check the dictionaries online. But in our classroom, we usually don't want students to put their mobile phone on the table. Because <laughs> right. Taking the dictionary is something they have to do before class instead of in front of the teacher. Right. But I think having some apps in learning Chinese is a good way. I think a lot of students are not using it. But talking is a totally different thing. You cannot talk to your mobile just by yourself right, without somebody interacting with you. So I think coming to a classroom and uh, talking to your peers, talking to your uh, teachers and get corrections from your teachers is actually a proper way of learning. Right. Yeah. Can you tell us about some of the uh, fields that people who graduate from this program go, go on to? You mentioned that a lot of them are interested in specialized fields. Yeah. We have students really from different backgrounds. There are students with a science background, chemistry, geography, or wherever, our Chinese culture, our Chinese literature, and uh, finance, law, journalism, cultural studies, international relations. So I think with this combination of specialties, I think students can really discuss all kinds of issues in classrooms. So I think students coming to our programs will sometimes make friends who are totally different from what they have already known back to their 
home countries. So I think we create a very good interactive and friendly atmosphere in class when people can really know everybody right. from different backgrounds. Now, uh, this is just one of many programs that teach Chinese in Taiwan, of course. Uh, why do you think that people should come to Taiwan specifically to study Chinese? Well, I think Taiwan is very much a very democratic country. I think it's pretty much well known. And I think we accept all kinds of discussion, even very sensitive issues. And people have very enthusiastic discussion about everything. And uh, so I think here in Taiwan, for example, in classroom, the teachers would really want students to talk. And students would really express their all sort of ideas. And other fellows in classroom would really share with each other about what they really think about, for example, political issues. So I think that's almost the best advantage of studying Chinese in Taiwan. Not right. necessarily in ISOP, but I think coming to Taiwan to study Chinese and uh, really and had the chance to know uh, local friends. I think one friend leads to another friend, <laughs> right. and you would know more about different views of issues. And that's true. I think that a lot of what I learned was uh, phrases like, according to my viewpoint, or what makes you think that, or it was a lot of, of argumentative phrases. Yeah. Are there any other advantages you can think of? Well, I think the, the food in Taiwan, the culture in Taiwan, and the Palace Museum in Taipei are the things that everybody should try and, and visit. And uh, also, I think people here in Taiwan always wear smiles. If you have any problem, you can go ask you know, questions, you know, anybody on the street, and people will tell you, even try to guide you to the place you want to visit. And it's quite easy to make friends in Taiwan. Right. And uh, I think people are very friendly. These last two bits, free and open discussion and warm, friendly people, are more than just added bonuses. They're powerful motivators. Taiwan always has a wealth of stimulating discussions to offer and welcoming, fun-loving people that you'll want to discuss with. It's an attractive mix that may even convince some students to put whatever other plans they had aside and spend a lifetime here. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Stroke of light. A portrait of Taiwan through the eyes of painters, sculptors, filmmakers, and photographers. Hello and welcome to Stroke of Light. I'm Jake Chen. Last week, we talked about how Spanish comic book artist Juan Cornella uses satire to critique the bizarre behaviors that we all engage in this selfie-crazed era. And this week, we'll look at a few of his paintings to further explore the subject. In 
In one frame, we see a topless woman walking towards the beach while turning back to hold the hand of a person who is holding the camera. She has put up this big, happy, empty grin while looking back. In the distance, there are two direction signs that are erected in the beach. One says self-delusion and points to the left, and the other one says failure and points to the right. Hinting that a woman is heading into the feast and famine nature of the world of so-called social media influencers. The painting is clearly a satirical take of a series of commercials on social media that went viral a few years ago. The ads feature a woman who always has her back turned to the camera, while half turning her torso and extending one hand to hold the hand of the cameraman. She is often seen dressed in exotic clothes and heading to beautiful locations. The woman secured sponsorship from several fashion and jewelry brands, and has also attracted a massive following and no shortage of imitators. At one point, I believe around 2015, turning one's back to the camera and heading somewhere became a way of showing one's adventurous spirit on social media. But like Cornella's painting so acutely points out, a gesture like that doesn't lead to anything but either self-delusion or failure. People have later on found out that a woman's photographs were carefully staged, and that she and her partner spent months to scout locations, wait for the perfect weather, and for her to dress up nicely. And the partner slash cameraman spent hours curating the best shot, and then photoshopped it to near perfection. That wasn't some random shot captured during an adventure. It is an ad, a front, a fabricated facade to begin with. And the fact that millions of people online flock to these images, and countless also try to recreate a similar facade, really speaks to how people can be attracted to things that are superficial, and offer little more than face value. It takes just one look on any major social media platform, and it's easy to see that people with glossy, carefully curated facade is exactly what is being pushed in front of the public. But what these platforms don't show to the public is the consequences of promoting these images and behaviors, as society as a whole becomes more and more accustomed to showing the self at every chance. It brings a heightened emphasis on physical appearance. In another comic strip, Cornella paints the story of a man who shows a picture on his phone to a doctor in white coat. The surgeon then moves on to cutting his face with a scalpel. As the man's face gets all bloodied, the doctor keeps cutting and eventually shapes his face into the screen of a phone, literally turning his face into a square. The man now with a phone on his face is showing a big smile on the screen. The series of images are deeply upsetting in many ways. At first, they tell a story、uh, that is impossibly bloody and ridiculous, but in reality. Plastic surgeries, where people really do ask surgeons to reshape their faces to look like that of a certain celebrity, happened all the time. In countries such as South Korea, it's even become this accepted and, in some cases, expected of young women to undergo plastic surgery in order to look presentable in certain workplaces. 
The blank smile on the characters' faces reflect the blank smile that many, many people put on when they turn the camera to themselves. It isn't genuine. It doesn't represent any form of real happiness. All it does is to fabricate a facade for others on the internet, who are equally as vain and as empty. In the following episodes, we'll explore other themes in Juan Granella's work, including racial conflicts and the over-sexualized elements in modern culture. For a stroke of light, I'm Jake Chan, and I'll talk to you next week. Together already, it's time to feast. Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. This is the final episode of Feast Meets West for the year, and we've prepared a buffet of our favorite moments from 2019. I'm Andrew Ryan, and joining me is Ellen Chu. We're going to dive right on in. In January, Andrew brought in some Lunar New Year treats, and one of them was particularly difficult to eat. So if you need a pro tip for dealing with relatives during the holidays, you'll want to listen to this. Uh, it's called Mami Lao. So it's my, basically, what is my this? My dad loves this. Really? Mm-hmm. And, and the it, inside, it's like poofy crunchy. Poofy crunchy. It's like it's like rice cracker, right? Mm-hmm. But they've like made it into like crispy floss. This is kind of like a giant size sticking my teeth. I, I, I really bought this to just shut you up, Bella. <laughs> I know. Great you know, holiday tip, guys. If you want your kids to be quiet in the Chinese or your New wife, Year, or your uh, husband, yeah. <laughs> buy mommy lao. <laughs> so the thing is that it looks like Rice Krispie, mm, it a does. giant one, a giant Rice Krispie. Right. So this is one of the many snacks. A lot of people go out and buy all these festive, like traditional snacks. Mm-hmm. Have them hanging out at home just yeah. in case there's visitors that drop by mm-hmm. and serve up some of these with some tea. So, you want some visitors to be quiet? Then yeah. Service. Yeah. <laughs> Auntie so-and-so is here. Get the mommy lao. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to remember that. That's uh-huh. a good trick. This year was a big year for us. We actually celebrated 18 years together on air. <laughs> and Feast Meets West turned 10 in May. So, of course, we had to celebrate. We played a clip from our very first feast back in 2009 in which we went to a temple to get our fortune read for the show. Now, have a listen to this clip and our thoughts 10 years on. It is, right? One side up and one side down. I think that means right. That's right, right? Okay. Okay, so this looks like our fortune. 
Now we're going to go over and we're going to take um, one of the paper fortunes that corresponds with the number on the stick. So we need to look for number 42. Okay, do you is that good or is that bad, Ellen? Mm, if you're born to ride a stellar horse, okay? Like a really nice horse, right. yeah. And today you're going to be changing into a very raw horse. Like kind of a rough, rough un one, untrained right. horse. So if you really want to know that if this horse is good or bad, then you have to kind of explore and, and try really to observe, it. observe it, right. Only the talent uh -huh. can really scout out the talent. Oh, Ellen, it's perfect for our show. I know. Okay. What this says is that if you want to switch from a good horse, which is Groove Zone, to a, an untrained horse, which is Feast Meets West, then you really have to pay attention and observe the horse, and you have to be hardworking enough to find out whether or not this is a good horse for you to ride. So we're going to do our best with that. Wow. Who would have known that we were changing programs and he said something about switching horses? <laughs> That's scary. Super scary, it's right? It's very scary. And, you know... We had no idea when we did this. This was 2009 and we won the Golden Bell Award in 2013. Mm -hmm. Four years later, we figured out it was a stellar horse. So we actually, you know, really digged into this, you know, really untrained horse. Yes, we rode it. We rode it. <laughs> we tamed the beast. We tamed the we beast. Tamed the beast. <laughs> yeah. After listening to that clip from our first show in 2009, we decided we had to go back to the temple and get our fortune for the next 10 years. What are we doing, Ellen Chu? Where are we? Coming to a temple, and this is a temple close to our radio station, and it is the Tu Di Gong, which is the protection of this area. So it's like the Earth God? Yeah, actually, he protects the area where RTI is located. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that. So this is the place to come to ask uh, yes. about our fortune so for the next So donation box is here. So we do like a little donation here. This is for Xiang Yu Qian. Okay. okay. So basically, the the main god here is Fu De Zhen Shen, which is like Tu Di Gong, and uh, the the he's like the landlord of this mm. area. So we ask him if this year our program Feast Meets West will be very successful mm -hmm. and run smoothly, mm -hmm. and if yes, he will give us like an up and down. So she's got two wooden divination blocks that are red and half moon shaped. And they're round on one side and flat on the other. So you want one facing up mm -hmm. and one facing down. Oops. <laughs> so both facing the same way. That's not right yet. So we have to keep going going. So maybe if we continue to do our best on this program and to share the spirit of the program with our listeners and right. the food of Taiwan and the the culture. spirit and the culture of Taiwan will it go well is that what uh, will be good for the show all right oh yeah it's a yes it's a yes 
sometimes people do this many times, like yeah. 20, 30 times before mm -hmm. they get the right answer. Right. So, you know, he wants us to continue with Feast Meets West. Don't change. Don't do the, the bad things. Do the good things. Do the good things. Okay. <laughs> and put your heart in it. Exactly. And mean it. So this is what it started with, you know, they asked us to work hard. There's going to be many obstacles in front of us, but as long as we put our efforts in and our heads in, it'll be okay. We're good. Yay, Ellen. Yay. Congrats so to us. Another and 10 Crescent. years. Oh, another 10 years. This year, Taiwan rolled out a ban on plastic straws, which went into effect on July 1st. So we got our hands on some environmentally friendly metal straws to test them out. But as you can imagine, things didn't go exactly as planned. And we're going to try to use them to suck up some boba from our boba tea. Really suck it up, okay? But the first question is, is will this pop through the plastic lid on our cups? You want to try it? Yes. Oh my god, you made a huge splash oh. all over the studio, Alan Chu. You made a mess. It's difficult. Oh my Muzukashine. goodness. Oh, so I'm going to just peel my lid back. I'm not going to do what she did because that's a hey, mess. Come you on. got it all over me, Alan Chu. Did you got I, it on the screen. It's okay. It's okay until the screen is sticky and then we get in trouble from all the other people. Right. But, you know, hey. We're environmental, right? <laughs> that's right. We're environmentally <laughs> friendly, but we'll have ants. Right. Sometimes you can hear a lot of crunching sounds in our show. We do this on purpose so that you can be part of the process. That's right. Take, for example, this clip of us crunching some juicy plums. Okay. The sound of crunching. Mm. It's in between sweet and tart. Mmm. Mmm. What do you think? They're sweeter than I thought I would be, Ellen Chu. Mm-hmm. A lot sweeter. Oh, but it has a bit of a bitterness. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Is it's it, because it's tart. Is it from the skin? I think it's the skin. The skin is bitter? Mm. Mm-hmm. I like it. You like it? Mmm. It's not bad. Now let's compare the last clip with this clip of my kids tasting the same plums. This is Ryan, who is nine years old, and Rihanna, who is eight. It's so bitter! <laughs> okay, what do you think about the plums? Rihanna, yummy? Her She's... face is twitching. <laughs> the look on her face is hilarious. How is it? The skin is... Uh... Like very sour, but inside sweet. Okay. Bitterness. Okay. All right. They so have different taste buds. I different guess. taste buds. Would you want another one, Ryan? Yes. Okay, yes. I'll take another one. You didn't even finish your first one. <laughs> okay. Vienna, want another one? Okay. Later. Okay. I like that spirit of uh, testing mm -hmm. and adventurism. They get it from their mom. Yes. I, you know, with different personality, you can tell. Like, one just kind of gives up. The other one, you know, <laughs> bites it and then say, I'll take it later. We'll save this little clip for later when they're older. Okay. <laughs> Andrew made a lot of things this year in the Feast Meets West Test Kitchen. Nearly 20 dishes in all. Here's a quick look at some of the more memorable dishes on our menu. Are you ready? Yep. Almond cookies. Oat milk flan. Irish soda bread. Kung Pao chicken empanadas. Two ingredient dole whip. 
pandan ice cream. Dragon fruit soda. Mid autumn pomelo sorbet. Mmm, corn chowder. Peach resin soup. And for Thanksgiving, a sweet potato pie with miso paste and a chocolate cookie and black sesame crust. Yum. Mm. As usual, there were some hits and some misses. There were also some misses that turned out actually to be unexpected hits, like these stir fried bean sprouts from March. A little bitter. They are a little bitter. Mm hmm. You know why? Why? Because it burned the garlic. <laughs> oh, it was a it's tough good. morning, Ellen Chu. Tough, tough morning really? in the kitchen. Yeah, I was all hands and feet. Oh, okay. Is that, is that an idiom? Do people say that? No. <laughs> all fingers, Ellen Chu. <laughs> it's great. Is it? I'm surprised. Even with like, you know, the burnt garlic. Mm-hmm. I still like it. Thanks, Ellen Chu. One of the most delicious and creative dishes Andrew made this year, well, I have to say, was a pink dessert he made for our annual pink show in October to commemorate Breast Cancer Awareness Day. And so what I've done is I've made a yogurt panna cotta with just a tiny bit of lemon to give it a tang. Mm. And it's pink flavored because it's got the uh, dragon fruit juice in the panna cotta. Mm. And we've topped it off with some macerated little chunks of dragon fruit. So I just used a little bit of sugar and lemon. This is amazing, the texture. Was it good? Mm. I was most worried about the texture, Ellen Chu. I love the texture. Good? Oh my God, this is good. Mm-hmm. This is better than I expected. This is, this is way better. You mean this is the first time you made this? Yeah, I've never made a panna cotta. Mm. This is one of my favorite desserts because it has a nice, like kind of gelatinous texture, mm. but without being too jello-y. This is really good. It has that very smooth, creamy texture to it. Mm. Right? This is good. Now, I wasn't the only one to make something in the Feast Meets West Test Kitchen this year. Our summer interns Bethany and Danica observed the Taiwanese boba tea trend that swept through Asia in 2019, and they decided to make a recipe from Japan which was lighting up the internet. So Danica and I have just arrived in the Feast Meets West Test Kitchen and we're about to make boba rice. Yeah, I'm so excited. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's kind of afraid. <laughs> I mean, what's it going to turn out like? Who knows, really? They poured rice and boba milk tea into a rice cooker mm. and steamed them together to create an unusual dessert. Before you guys sample it, what does it look like and what does it smell like? Risotto. <laughs> it does look like risotto. And you have that kind of like uh, brown sugar smell. Ooh, it does. It smells a little bit like tea, too. Right. I smell the milk Strong tea. Strong tea. Okay. From some sides, the rice kind of looks like rice bubbles. Not oh, gonna lie. my goodness. You know? Go ahead and start. It tastes like sweet pyramid rice. Mmm. Sweet pyramid rice, like zongzi. Zongzi. Mm. Like a sweet zongzi. Mm. It has that leaf smell, yeah. right? Mm. The sweetness. If you have the sweet sugar pyramid rice. I think the tea actually makes it taste like that, um, the bamboo leaves mm -hmm. that wrap the rice. Right. It's mm. not really bad. It's not no. bad. Yeah. It's not bad at all, mm. actually. Oh, really relieved. And then it has that <laughs> texture to it. So this was actually getting viral in Japan. 
I think so, yeah. Mm, People wow. are starting to do this. It's yeah. not as sweet as I thought it would be. No, it's I don't think nice, so. It's quite nice, actually. Right, right. It has a mm. tint of the, you know, fragrance of the bamboo. It's interesting because, like, I think um, when you have a boba tea, it's, like, really sweet, right? Mm. And what? how sweet did you go with? What, what was the sweetness on this? Way mm, tang, like... So just oh, a no, little bit minimal. sweet. Minimal. Minimal, minimal sugar. Minimal. Because you've added rice and you've steamed mm. it. Mm-hmm. So it tastes less sweet than it was when you started, right? Oh, it's not bad, I have to say. You know, you did a good job. And it does taste like paramet rice, mm. but it just doesn't have the filling of the uh, hongdou paste, the red bean mm. paste. Mm. But, you know, in addition to that, it has the boba texture to it. Mm. Mm. I like mm. the boba texture. Yeah. It adds to it. So, how do you think you would eat this with like other things? Would it be a dessert? It, it would be a dessert. A dessert. I think mm. it would be a mm. dessert, definitely. I think this is great, guys. I think it's wonderful, actually. Well yeah. done. I'm going to give you a big round of applause. Yay! Yay. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. All right. And I'm still alive. Yay! <laughs> we also sample boba pizza from two American chains, which were better than expected. The Domino's one does not have a tea flavor, but the Pizza Hut one does have a tea flavor. So I think they put, they really added like zhenzhu nai cha, like the milk tea. pearl milk tea, right, the actual tea it, itself, right? yeah. So I maybe they blended into the... Um, mascarpone. Mascarpone. Yeah, I think they maybe did. Yeah. yeah. Smart. Smart. Kind of like sipping boba tea yeah. and then biting into a crust of pizza. Yeah. Cheese pizza. Yeah. Yeah. It's like eating a cup of boba tea. Okay, it's it. so I have to say, Pizza Hut, you won <laughs> on this round. Ding, ding. Ding, ding. But Bethany and Danica left us with some pretty shocking information about the health problems associated with boba tea. One study commissioned by Channel News Asia found that a 500 milliliter cup of brown sugar boba tea can contain about 92 grams of sugar and about three times more, that is, than the amount of sugar in a Coca-Cola can. Wow. Wow. Okay. And that 92 grams, they say, is about 18 and a half teaspoons of sugar. Whoa. So if you think about it that way. Holy cow. Yeah. So this is not an everyday treat. No. no. Not at all. Okay. Danica, I see you smiling. How often do you have one of these? <laughs> I've gained five kilograms last year because of drinking bubble tea. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. So if you cut down, I'm sure that you're going to drop back your Yeah. <laughs> so how many, how many a week do you have? About... Um, three or three four. Three four a week? Yeah. Okay. Wow. Alrighty. Yeah, the problem well we, is they're really good. They are really good. Mm-hmm. And we said that um, Taiwanese people have a billion a year. That's about 43 per person a year. Ellen also shared some foods on our show this year. Perhaps the most surprising was a bottle from her own line of Ellen Chu soda. And it tasted just like you'd expect it. It's actually deep ocean water which is they added gas to it so make can you make it hear that holy cow Alan Chu mm-hmm. you know I have to say this is that moment when you find out your co-host has her own soda line you know it's strange <laughs> it feels like it has juice in there juice a berry flavor I'm gonna sample it oh it does smell like berry flavor what's going on Alan Chu but it's not supposed to I smell a scent of it, a right. hint of it. A hint of berry, right? A hint of berry. What does it say? I can't read this. Aquagen is actually deep ocean water. I think it has a little touch of berry. No, it doesn't. It's supposed to be just water. 
You know what it is? What? I bet it's the carbon dioxide has a scent of um, berry in it. So it's actually not flavoring. This is amazing. This is amazing. It's amazing. And some people tell me, do you feel like your body warming up because of the fizzle? I do. Because, you know, one media giggly. friend. You know, giggly? <laughs> oh, laughing gas in there. I think they added something. You know, this is this is especially made for me. So maybe, you know, this is something they added in there. <laughs> laughing gas. <laughs> Because, you know, one of the media friends who received this, I do feel it. That, you know, you feel heat coming up your body, right? (laughs) Oh, Ellen Chu, something's going on here. Something's going on. I love Ellen Chu brand soda. (laughs) Just for the record, I was not paid for that endorsement. The most disgusting thing we feature in our show in 2019... You want to guess what it is? Of course. The one I refuse. Crickets. It was for a show about how eating insects can help prevent a food shortage. I brought two different flavors to sample, but as Ellen mentioned, she decided to sit that one out, so I had to go alone. I'm going to start off with cotton candy. You are a sport. Are you sure you're not going to have any of these? Oh, no. You come closer and take a picture, because I'm not going to do this again. I am going to... All right, I'm sticking it in my mouth. Stick it on your tongue. Okay, it's on my tongue. <laughs> Look at his face! <laughs> I'm gonna post you all over my Facebook. Okay, it tastes like, it smells like bugs. It doesn't taste like cotton candy at all. It doesn't, right? No, give me the other one. I'm gonna do this quick. It doesn't. Let me tell you, it smells like bug. It tastes like bug. Mango habanero also does not smell like mango habanero. I think it probably just tastes like bug. Yeah. Alrighty, here he goes, in the hatch. That one has more of a kick. That's I would I would eat that again, maybe. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Will you eat bug again? No. Yes, actually I would. Really? Okay, so I have to t- I have to be really clear about this. If you took the mango habanero ones and you ground it up into a powder and you put it in something as a flavoring, I would definitely eat it again. Yes. But I think the thing is is like you don't want this just with the crunch the texture mm-hmm. of the shell and all right. the like the legs and yes. the head and the like the little body Ooh, look at this oh later on we agreed that the cricket smelled like something awfully familiar do you know what it is it's like it's like dirty socks yeah it's, it's a funk to it that's what it is ellen chu it's dirty socks <laughs> crunchy dirty socks <laughs> But the crazy thing is, later I brought it to my kids to sample it, and you never guess who dared to eat it. This is for Uncle Andrew. I just had one. Hey, if one day on the planet Earth we have nothing to eat, and this is the it's only like a peanut. food, don't look, don't look at it. Don't smell it. Come on. Wow, Rihanna! 
it is Rihanna, my daughter. <laughs> oh my goodness. And you guys know, she ate about a dozen of them. It's amazing all of the things I've learned about Ellen Chu during our 18 years together on air. And she continues to surprise me with her stories. Like that time back in February when she told me this. Did you know that I used to help out with my mom at this uh, almond factory in Japan? Wait, what? Almond cookie <laughs> factory, like these Chinese people making these almond cookie. Is this the part of the show where we learned that Ellen Chu was a child laborer? I was a child laborer. Well, actually, my mom was helping her like high school friend. Like she runs like this bakery, oh. and she was making these almond cookies. Are you serious? Yeah, and then my mom would go and chit chat with her, and then she would sit in the factory and. Start Start wrapping it for her. Oh my goodness. And I just remember the smell of the cookie. Oh. You know, I would have that cookie every single day. So you helped wrap them and you ate them? Yes. One I for probably... my mouth, one for the box. <laughs> it's one like for two for my mouth and one for the box. <laughs> right. So, you know, this is something that was really, really a big part of my childhood, you know, because I go there like probably every day. Huh. I wasn't in school yet. The things I learned about you. Mm-hmm. Another thing that blew my mind this year was Ellen's story of the most expensive meal she's ever eaten. You know, she ordered yu ci. Yeah. You know, the shark fin. Yep. Everyone had a bowl. And then <gasps> oh, a bird goodness. nest. Ugh. Everyone had a bowl. And a stir-fried uh, green yeah. vegetable, like this big. Yeah. And I think, oh, and also a stir-fried bean sprout. Okay. Huang okay. dou yeah. Was this a meal? It, it was like a snack, okay, because we were going to go to a fashion show, and she said she wanted a snack. Right. And my husband went to get the bill. No. I was going to say you didn't fight for the bill, did you? He was going to, he felt that, you know, we shouldn't be taking advantage of other people. No. You know, it's like we, because normally she pays for everything. No. And nobody fights for the bill with her because she's so wealthy, right? He picked the wrong day. So my husband's like, you know, we shouldn't let you know her think that we are like other people, just taking advantage of them. They're wealthy. That know? is a terrible day. So he went to pay. He came back. His face was pale white. How much did it cost, Ellen? How many people were there? Three of us. Just the three of you. Yes, and that's all the stuff that we order. Okay. 30,000 NT. <gasps> it cost a thousand dollars. Oh my God. Just eating that. And my husband's like, no, oh. man, we're never coming back here again, okay? If she wants snack, it's like, you know, we take her to snack. Yeah, but she, she, if, she, if she's going to eat food like that, she needs to pay for it. But, you know, she didn't know because right. Zach just went over the counter. Was she and surprised? She was surprised. She's like, why did you guys pay? You know, yeah. it's like, it's on me. I took oh, you guys no. here. Never mm -hmm. again. One of the key ingredients of our show, of course, is our laughter. Ha ha ha. <laughs> this year, during a show about Grandparents' Day, we got a little confused by some of the traditional activities associated with this holiday. The day is also called Double Yang Festival, Jie, to protect against danger. Customary to let them <laughs> climb the high mountain <laughs> and drink. <laughs> It's just like, what? <laughs> yes. It's terrible. 
What do you mean? <laughs> Why do you let the old people climb a high mountain? Go climb a mountain, Grandma. I know. You send your grandparents to climb mountains. <laughs> this is terrible. Now, it wouldn't be Feast Meets West if Ellen didn't hit a snag while doing our addresses. So our address is P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. And email us at andro <laughs> at rti.org.tw. It's these beautiful moments which really make the show, I think. <laughs> you know, it's these beautiful moments that makes the show unique and lively. Because if we are always perfect and on the spot and dot, it could be a robot sitting here talking to you guys. I don't want to say off the rails, but I think a good train metaphor might be just what we're looking for, Ellen Chu. I think so. You know, it's the imperfection that's making us perfect. Now, one of the most touching moments of the year came as we were sampling the fudge that I made for our 18th anniversary hosting together on air. And Ellen surprised me by saying this. You know, I don't think anybody has the chemistry we have. You know, it's just that in, in the entertainment business, I never really saw or felt a true chemistry between the host of co-host. I'm going to cry. Yeah, you're going to cry? Is that sweet? That's, yeah. She doesn't usually say you know, nice things like that. Everybody <laughs> really have to act out the chemistry, but we don't. We it's, don't really have a set-up script. You know, we can say anything we want. And it sounds okay. <laughs> okay. Wait. <laughs> it was going so well until you, took, until you took a dive with okay. Right. I mean, I, I feel it's okay. I don't know if it's okay with our managers or bosses up there. Well, clearly, we've been doing this for 18 years. I think so we're doing something okay. So, you know, they don't really bother to care that what we're doing down here anymore. They don't, you know, really mm. bother to care that we're eating in here. Don't, not so loud, Ellen. Or, don't tell them we're eating in the studio. Or cooking in here. Oh, I've never. We've never cooked. Oh, we have cooked in here. We did. Oh. We boiled something in here. Okay. We used to toast her in here once. Right. Not. Not okay. <laughs> but, you know, we did well. We didn't burn anything down. We didn't burn the radio station down. <laughs> I. I think this is like this is the perfect like analogy for our our working together. Right. Is like we haven't burned anything down yet. And uh-huh. this chocolate here, Yet. so like this, these fudge, you know, f- pieces of fudge I made, little secret, the chocolate split while I was making it. But you know, you can't tell, can you? No. Tastes great. Tastes great. And I didn't burn it. So yeah. like that's, that is, that's what it's about. Right. Chemistry. Exactly. Chemistry. The right chemistry, right? And a little bit of physics. So we'll Mostly see chemistry. how the chemistry will lead us for the next 18 years. Oh, goodness. Yeah, we're not going to only lose hair, but teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to do this show until we can't eat anymore, okay? You guys heard that, right? And that was a look back at the year that was 2019. Our favorite moments, a buffet of favorites, in fact, from Feast Meets West. Now, before we leave you today, we're going to bring you one last song, perhaps the top-selling song in the Mando Pop industry for 2019. It was released in September, and within a half an hour of being released, it sold more than 2 million copies. It's a song called Shou Hao Bu Ku, or Won't Cry, by Jay Chow and Ashin from Mayday. For Feast Meets West, I'm Andrew Ryan. On behalf of Ellen Chu, wishing you a happy new year.
。人多的时候就待在角落，就怕别人问起我。你们怎么了？你低着头，护着我，连抱怨都没有。跟我开始多，从不对我说，不喜欢一个人生活。可是，够你还在意着别人是怎么怎么看我的，拼命解释这不是我的错，是你要。Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies: in Southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kilohertz. Again, that's in Southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kilohertz, and in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to PO Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's PO Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me/radiotaiwanintl. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me/radiotaiwanintl for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. <laughs>